Sup, you beautiful bastards. Hope you're having a fantastic Thursday. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show, and let's just jump into it. And the first thing we're gonna talk about today is the situation around Habib McGregor and the UFC. This is something I was gonna talk about earlier in the week, but we have just now gotten a bigger update. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the situation, these two recently had a fight at UFC 229. It was incredibly hyped, overwhelmingly viewed. Habib ended up winning, and then what happened after was just complete chaos. You've got Habib going over the cage, I guess letting people know why he's called the Eagle, trying to kick the life out of someone. From a faraway camera, you see McGregor punching a guy, then another guy jumps into the cage. He just cold cocks McGregor. Just complete chaos. Three guys from Habib's team end up getting arrested. Conor McGregor ends up actually refusing to press charges against them. So they end up getting released. Also, McGregor gets his money, but they end up holding on to Habib's. And since all of this happened, of course, there were a ton of different takeaways, but there was this main question of, well, what happens to the people involved? And according to UFC president Dana White, the guy who actually jumped over the cage was a UFC fighter by the name of Zubara Tuguko. Dana said he will never fight in the UFC again. And so today we saw Habib go to his Instagram to vent his frustration and also issue a threat, writing, I would like to address at UFC. Why didn't you fire anyone when their team attacked the bus and injured a couple of people? They could have killed someone there. If you're not familiar with that situation, we talked about that when that happened. That, of course, involving Conor McGregor and a lot of his guys trying to rush a bus filled with UFC fighters. Conor throwing that dolly into the bus. He, of course, had to face those criminal charges. Now there's another lawsuit. So Habib seemingly pointing to this being unfair treatment. And so I just wanted to provide that context there. But then he goes on to write, why no one says anything about insulting my homeland, religion, nation, family? Why do you have to punish my team when both teams fought? If you say that I started it, then I do not agree. I finished what he had started. In any case, punish me, Zubaira has nothing to do with it. If you think that I'll keep silent, then you are mistaken. You canceled Zubaira's fight and you want to dismiss him just because he hit Connor. But don't forget that it was Connor who had hit my brother first. Just check the video. If you decide to fire him, you should know that you'll lose me too. We never give up on our brothers in Russia and I will go to the end for my brother. If you still decide to fire him, don't forget to send me my broken contract, otherwise I'll break it myself. And one more thing, you can keep my money that you are withholding. You are pretty busy with that. I hope it won't get stuck in your throat. We have defended our honor, and this is the most important thing. We intend to go to the end. Hashtag brothers. And so with this situation, of course, you get two questions. One, what will Dana White do? And two, is Habib right here? You have Conor McGregor with that now famous bus incident. He destroyed property. He tried to actively hurt people. He actually did hurt some people, which is why he is facing a lawsuit. And that incident, which was not only seen as criminal, ended up actually being used in promo footage with Conor McGregor not being kicked out of the UFC. And so then you look at what happened after the fight as a whole, and you go, okay, so is that unfair treatment? And as far as what will Dana White do, it's a question of, will he back down? I think Dana White talks a lot about the integrity of the sport, although people would say that that's kind of just talk, given some of his actions. And on the business side of things, there's really no denying that Dana White realizes that a Habib McGregor rematch would be massive. Just insane pay-per-view numbers, so would he actually risk losing Habib? I don't know, ultimately it's one of those wait and see situations, but I do want to pass that question off to you. What do you think should happen, and also what do you think will actually happen? But from that, I want to share some stuff I love today, and today in Awesome, brought to you by Audible. For those that don't know, Audible is the amazing platform that has the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet. And as of right now, Audible is offering our viewers a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. All you've got to do is go to audible.com slash D or text D to 500-500. You can download a title for free and start listening today. It's incredibly easy. Also, in addition to that, members get a credit every month for any audiobook in the Audible store, regardless of price, and unused credits automatically roll over to the next month. And, and I know there's a lot of ands here, if you didn't like that audiobook, you can exchange it, no hassle. Also, if you're looking for a book, maybe to get into the Halloween spirit, you can get Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, And that one's actually narrated by Mike Michael C. Hall. The main point, if you're interested, of course, go to audible.com slash D or text D to 500-500. And the first bit of awesome today is, oh, I'm so excited. We got a brand new trailer for Glass. I was already excited because of the first trailer. I'm even more excited after watching this one. And I think part of the reason I'm so excited is Unbreakable is probably one of my favorite origin story kind of superhero movies. In the past, I thought I never wanted to follow up to that, but then Split happened and then we saw the connection and I was like, oh. I think there's even an interview I did with M. Night Shyamalan where I told him I don't want to see a sequel. 
And to M. Night, who you don't probably don't even remember my name, I take it back. I'm incredibly excited to see this movie. The only negative is I, I don't want to wait till January. Then another awesome, we had Dakota Johnson taking a lie detector test. Did 73 questions with Carly Claus featuring Casey Neistat and Ashley Graham. Also, we got the fantastic Tenacious D on Hot Ones. And if you want to see the full versions of everything I just shared, the secret link of the day, really anything I talk about today, links as always are in the description down below. Then in an update to that limo crash story we covered earlier this week, it's now being reported that the son of the owner of the limo has been charged with criminally negligent homicide. That crash, of course, taking the lives of 20 people, the driver, everyone else in the limo, two bystanders. The limo in question, of course, was that converted 2001 Ford Excursion. And according to reports, the reason the son of the owner of the company was taken into custody was because reportedly he was the operator of the company while his father was out of the country. And according to reports, police said that Hussein had been issued written violations by state police and the Department of Transportation that the driver he hired should not have been operating the type of vehicle that was involved in the crash. And according to New York State Police Superintendent George P. Beach II, Hussein knew about the violations and was also aware that the limo was placed out of service by the DOT in September and should not have been on the road. And Beach added the sole responsibility for the motor vehicle being on the road rests with Namin Hussein. And also adding that right now, while there is only one charge against Hussein, others could be added later. And as far as the other side of this, Hussein's lawyer claims that his client has very little to do with the day-to-day activities. And in fact, says that the daily operations of the company overall are almost entirely controlled by his client's father. But ultimately, as of right now, that is where we are. We're gonna have to wait to see what happens with the father and son, what else comes from this investigation. And it feels like every little bit matters, right? Like, was the son left in charge in name only? Or no, he was actually way more involved in the day-to-day, things that need to come to light. But with that said, I do pass the question off to you as far as what do you feel about this? Then, in kind of quickie news, although it, it involves one of the most serious things ever, and I mention this because I'm fascinated in your opinions and the debate that comes from this conversation, Washington, the state, not DC, has now become the 20th state to outlaw execution. And this happened because Washington's Supreme Court ruled that it was unconstitutional. Chief Justice Fairhurst writing, the death penalty is invalid because it is imposed in an arbitrary and racially biased manner. As noted by the appellant, the use of the death penalty is unequally applied, sometimes by where the crime took place or the county of residence or the available budgetary resources at any given point in time or the race of the defendant. The death penalty as administered in our state fails to serve any legitimate penological goal, which that just means crime prevention. Thus, it violates Article 1, Section 14 of our state constitution. And as far as what are they talking about with the disproportionality, reportedly black defendants in Washington are four times more likely to be sentenced to death than white defendants. And so the reasoning behind this one was really interesting because it's not necessarily that it's just 100% against the death penalty, but more so an issue of how it's being implemented. Now that said, with this story, I pass two questions off to you. One, what do you think about this particular situation? And two, what do you think about capital punishment in general? Do you think that it should be a thing or no? Any thoughts, feelings, reasons, uh, I'd love to hear from you. And then we should talk about the updates around the Jamal Khashoggi story we talked about yesterday. If you kind of want the deep dive into that story, I'll link to it down below, but kind of the TLDR. Khashoggi is a Saudi journalist who's been a frequent contributor to international outlets and especially the Washington Post. He also used to be pretty close to the ruling elite in Saudi Arabia, even serving as an advisor to a senior official. But that was a thing of the past. He's been living in the United States for about a year. This reportedly because he feared for his safety in Saudi Arabia as he became more openly critical of the government there, led by Mohammed bin Salman. Last week, he went to the Saudi consulate to get official documents certifying his divorce from his ex-wife in Saudi Arabia so that he could marry his new fiance. But after going in, he seemingly never came back out. The Saudi government said he left. Turkish officials said there isn't any CCTV footage showing him leaving. This led to many accusations that Khashoggi was maybe kidnapped, he was killed, he was dismembered. There were a ton of footage and accusations and names being thrown around. And then late last night, we got a new update. The Washington Post reported that there were US intelligence intercepts confirming that there was some kind of plot against Khashoggi. And according to US intelligence officials, there was an operation to lure Khashoggi back to Saudi Arabia. And although they say it's not totally clear that Mohammed bin Salman ordered this plan, the conjecture is that this kind of operation couldn't have happened without his knowledge. And the other thing is that getting Khashoggi to the consulate seems to have been the backup plan. But reportedly this official isn't sure if something went wrong during an attempted kidnapping and he was killed 
followed or what the entire plan was. Also part of this, Khashoggi's friends told the Post that over the past four months, senior Saudi officials were contacting Khashoggi. According to reports, they were apparently offering him protection, a high-level job working for the government if he were to return, but Khashoggi was skeptical of it all. Also another development with this story is that NBC is reporting there are WhatsApp text messages showing the last time Khashoggi was on his phone. The text messages are all in US Pacific time, so they're about 10 hours behind Istanbul time. And those screenshots show a few things. First, it appears that Khashoggi was last online at 3.06 a.m. Pacific or 1.06 p.m. Istanbul time, and that being right before he went into the embassy at 1.14 p.m. Second, that he did see a message sent before that indicated by two blue check marks at the bottom of the message. And third, that he didn't see a message delivered right after he was last online, sent at 3.24 a.m. or 1.24 Istanbul time. And so with part of this thread, it's not clear whether Khashoggi left his phone or a different one with his fiance outside. This because he did reportedly leave a phone with his fiance in case he didn't come out so that she could call an advisor to the Turkish president Erdogan. But since it appears to be his personal phone, it does somewhat contradict the Saudi story, showing that he at least wasn't checking his WhatsApp just a few minutes after he entered the consulate. And on that note, a reporter spoke to someone who allegedly was inside the Saudi consulate when Khashoggi disappeared. And here they said that there were repeatedly screams, shouting, calls of help, the sound of a struggle, and then sudden silence. And we're also seeing conflicting stories out there. There are some outlets reporting that the Saudis have rescinded their offer to the Turkish security force that want to search the Saudi consulate. But at the same time, you have Turkish officials apparently denying that the offer was rescinded. Turkish officials also telling another news outlet that they believe Khashoggi was captured by two men at the office. And despite providing no proof here, that official said, we know when Jamal was killed, in which room he was killed, and where the body was taken to be dismembered. If the forensic team are allowed in, they know exactly where to go. And also a big note here is this is not just some issue that's happening with other people in a faraway place. Things are getting even more serious. It's an even bigger international incident, and it involves the United States. And in fact, now we've seen 22 senators, including the top Democrat and Republicans on the Foreign Relations Committee, signing and sending a letter to Trump. And this under something called the Magnitsky legislation. And this is where they can request that the president investigate whether a foreign person is responsible for human rights violations. And that includes extrajudicial killings, torture, other gross violations of human rights, including freedom of expression. And in response to this, the president can impose sanctions on the people responsible. And that letter read, we request that you make a determination on the imposition of sanctions pursuant to the Global Magnitsky Human Rights Accountability Act with respect to any foreign person responsible for such a violation related to Mr. Khashoggi. Our expectation is that in making your determination, you will consider any relevant information, including with respect to the highest ranking officials in the government of Saudi Arabia. Bob Corker, the Republican chair of the Foreign Relations Committee, saying of the information they have on Khashoggi, the intelligence reports are very direct, very short, and give further credence to the fact that the focus needs to be on Saudi Arabia right now. But then also adding that this is not an attack on the Trump administration, saying it's not intended though as a shot at them. It's the forcing mechanism to ensure that we use all the resources available to get to the bottom of this. And if in fact, at the very highest levels of Saudi Arabia, they have been involved in doing this, that appropriate steps will be taken to sanction them. President Trump was also asked about the possibility of Saudi Arabia being involved, saying it's a terrible thing, adding I guess you would have to say so far it's looking a little bit like that. He was then asked about senators looking to block arms sales to Saudi Arabia and whether he'd support that, to which he responded. Well, I think that would be hurting us. You know, we have uh, jobs, we have, uh, you know, a lot of things happening in this country. That that would be a very, very tough pill to swallow for our country. As far as why is Trump saying that that would be a tough pill to swallow? Because there is a lot of money involved and there are a lot of arms involved. In 2017, according to the Security Assistance Monitor, Saudi Arabia was the top recipient of U.S. arms sales notifications, coming in at $17.8 billion. And that's just one place last year. According to the Department of Defense's Security Cooperation Agency, from 2017 to 2018, in general, we saw foreign military sales increase by 33%. 
Bahrain, the US and Saudi Arabia have also signed a collection of letters for intent amounting to what would be around $110 billion in arms sales to Saudi Arabia back in 2017. But that's where we are right now. It will be interesting to see what happens there, also what happens here. If it does turn out that all of these accusations are accurate, would Donald Trump actually do something? Because once again, it does seem like there is a monetary angle at play there. And so with this story, I ask you the question of what do you think is going to happen? Do you think that it turns out that Turkish officials are accurate or no, they're wrong? Any and all thoughts here, I'd love to see in those comments down below. And that's where I'm going to end today's show. And remember, if you liked this video, you like what I try and do on this channel, hit that like button. If you're new here, hit that subscribe button. Also, if you missed yesterday's show, I had a good number of people saying they didn't get a notification. You can click or tap right there to catch up. Or if you want to watch the newest bonus video, you can click right there. But that said, of course, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you next time.